Girl, it's going to be a real challenge to not sing Newsies through this whole thing. Pulitzer Pulitzer and Hearst, they they think they they got us. Do they got us? No! Hi, Julian Pensavalli. <laughs> Hi, Patrick Hines. I don't know what I was doing with my pitch or my tone. No, listen, I'll take a GP falsetto any day of the week. They can't make a documentary about a hearse and think we're not going to talk. Like, we, this episode should just be about Newsies. Yeah, I just want, like, the instrumental of Newsies throughout. <laughs> Totally. underscoring us. You guys, if you want more of this and certainly more Newsies references, uh, you know where to find us on the Patreon. Over 200 full ad-free bonus episodes. I kind of can't believe how much content is there. Yeah, I can't believe it either. I do, before we get into that, want to make it clear, it's Newsies the movie that we discussed. Yeah, to- it's very important <laughs> totally. that they know that. This is the one example where we like the movie better than the stage musical. Uh-huh. That movie shaped me. And Dope, same. Of, oh my oof, God. Oof, mm, kid Blink? Come on. Anyway, oh, yes, the Patreon. Yes, focus, focus, focus. Um, yeah, the Patreon. It's where we cover all of the series. So it's like All Be Gone in the Dark, The Vow, Serial, Making a Murderer, which there was news about this week. Like, you guys. Yeah. The Jinx, Don't F with Cats, Tiger King. We just did Night Stalker, Heaven's Gate. We're doing Murder in the Bayou. Tons of stuff. Sometimes we'll see in the Facebook group, people will find the Patreon and be like, I have content for a year now. Like, <laughs> Right, because you when you sign up, you get it immediately. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, we release it week to week, but yeah. it's also the entire back catalog is just there. Yeah, you get it right away. You also get free versions of these episodes. There's so much stuff there, you guys. One more thing to know. Every Tuesday at noon, Jillian and I go live on our Instagram, mm-hmm. and the Instagram is True Crime Obsessed Podcast. We call it Ladies Who Lunch, girl. Yeah, we hang. We talk about the episode because our episodes drop on Tuesday, and we just hang yeah. out. We just answer yeah. questions. It's a super fun party time with GP and me at noon Eastern <laughs> every Tuesday. Anything else, girl? Super fun party time with GP and me. If if they saw the Manhattan <laughs> Neighborhood Network, that public access, that would be our show that aired at 2 o'clock in the morning. All right, girl, what are we talking about today? We are talking about as much newsies as possible because we're discussing <laughs> Gorilla, the taking of Patty Hearst. I gotta tell you, the one thing I took away from this is that I do not know how to spell Gorilla. I really don't know how to spell it. Okay. How do you spell it, girl? Makes sense to me. Well, Gorilla, in this sense, where it's with it's G-U. Wait, so there's two different ways to spell Gorilla? Gorilla like the animal, sweetheart, and Gorilla like <laughs> the rebels. Look, I gotta tell you, I was well into my 20s before I knew there was two ways to spell weather. Stop So it. here we Stop. are. Long day. I'm with a combat unit that's armed with automatic weapons. There's been a big kidnapping on the West Coast. The victim is Patricia Hurst, the daughter of newspaper executive Randolph Hurst and a granddaughter of the legendary William Randolph Hurst. Police say the whole thing was carried out with commando-like precision. I mean, the whole thing sounded ridiculous. Symbionese Liberation Army. Who are these people? What do they want? We have declared war against the fascist insect that preys upon the life of the people. We thought for sure it was just some lunatic right-wing friend. Hearst said, it's my daughter, we'll do whatever they want. You said that it was out of your hands. What you should have said was that you wash your hands of it. I have been given the choice of joining the Symbionese Liberation Army. I have chosen to stay and fight. 
common sense dictates that she is still being held prisoner. She's a victim of thought control by terrorists. Every day your captor lets you live, you more closely identify with that captor, even sexual attraction. They have more ammunition than the police do. That's bad. That's bad. See, this is the first time something like this has ever happened. So there are no ground rules. When asked for her occupation while being booked, she told the officer, Urban Gorilla. It is probably the mystery story of the 20th century. Thank you all so much. Bye-bye. So, you guys, the whole point of this documentary is to talk about Patty Hearst being kidnapped and maybe getting Stockholm Syndrome and becoming, like, a terrorist rebel person. But, like, in order to do that, we got to get a lot lot of backstory. Accurate. Accurate. So we meet all these people right at the top, right? And like they all want us to know that the world was kind of a real shitty place. Like we were in Vietnam and everyone super hated Vietnam. The thing that you remember growing up was we saved the world from Hitler. And then you turn around and we're being Hitler. And you see this every night. And it's just like, oh my God, you know, it's like, what's going on here? They show like a bunch of videos of Vietnam and I'm like, oh my God, it really was as bad as people say. Yeah, so we're seeing all this horrible footage of like the radicals versus the cops and I'm like, wow, this looks familiar. And then, you know, Kent State happens and it's just everything is just out of control, really. And like all of these people, these radicals that we're talking to are just like, it felt like the country was out of control. It felt like criminals were running the country and like they had no respect for anything. And I'm like, where's the lie exactly? Where's the... Yeah, where's the lie? But like, we'll get there in a few minutes. But, like, these kids handle it really the wrong way. Right. They, <laughs> they handle their outrage in really the wrong way. But yes. they have the right idea. They're like, we felt like there was no future. When you look around and you see the way the world is, you know, with the Vietnam War that nobody wants but we can't end, Nixon's getting reelected, you know, Kent State where they're literally shooting students who are peacefully protesting and they're saying, like, we were made to feel like we were the enemy of our own government. Then Kent State happened and I was shot just like everybody else, especially everyone on all the campuses. Then I felt like, in no uncertain terms, that people like me were being declared the enemy by the government of the United States. Right, like anyone who spoke up was seen as an enemy. And my only question is like, oh, imagine if they had used their powers for the forces of good. I know. You know? I know. Can you imagine? Yeah, but instead we have the Symbionese Liberation Army. Yeah. That's where they chose to put their energy. That's what they become. And it starts mm-hmm. in Berkeley, California, 1972. And I just went, oh, people moved there. Like these intellectual kids moved there because it was like, it felt like a refuge, right? It was where like the smart hippie people went. And there's lots of video in this documentary. And I was like, the videos of the hippies in Berkeley in 1972 are a parody of themselves. All the guys are like hotter and dirtier than the next. One dude is walking down the street in Berkeley, just playing a guitar and singing, just like he's walking to get his morning coffee. When you see someone at a party and they walk in with the acoustic guitar and you're just like, all right. Okay, go ahead. Play Wonderwall. Yeah, yeah. You- okay, landslide. Yep, all right. We'll do landslide. Okay. Go ahead, Tobias. I guess this is what we're doing now. Yep, and you know, landslide, but yeah, all right. Okay, we'll do it. <laughs> Toby's got to do landslide first before we... 
Get the appetizers out. Go ahead. <laughs> and like I start out watching Toby super annoyed, and by the end, I am drooling and totally in love with him. And you only want the song to last for like twenty seconds when when yeah, yeah, when yeah. you're like, is yeah. this is this more than a minute? Like, what am I? I know. <laughs> is there a second verse to this? Is there a bridge? Like, what's happening? Yeah. And so we're in Berkeley, and this group of hippies is forming into like a group because they want to make what they see as positive changes in society. And they want to focus on now at first bear with me because they're like well yeah. we should we should let innocent people out of prison like let's focus on that and I'm like oh cool like I didn't know that Patty Hearst I didn't know the group that Patty Hearst was involved with was actually really about like the innocence project like that's totally, pretty rad totally, no, no, yeah. no 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 yeah we can visit them we can try to get people to you know donate money we can try to find lawyers to help them and stuff but what else are we are we willing to do you know, and there was talk about, you know, well, what if somebody escaped, you know, or what if we could help somebody escape, you know, and, you know, so we started talking along those lines. Now, look, I'm just going to say one thing. I'm going to ask you to pull over because you know how I feel about the prison system. It's fucked. We got to yeah. change it. We got to get the innocent people out of there. But when they eventually catch the person that you helped escape, that person yeah. will never see the light of day again. So you're yes. not doing them any good, especially because unless you're like a mediocre white dude, you'll be fine. But the whole yeah. point is that you're not trying to bust out the mediocre white dudes. That's the point. Well, and because, and like, again, this is a thing where you're like, this group sounds great. They see all black prisoners as political prisoners. By then, every black prisoner in California prisons was regarded in one way or another as a political prisoner. The idea that made black prisoners at the time so-called political prisoners was that they'd been denied sufficient opportunity in society and had reached out to take their share. Black people have ended up in jail because they had to go around the system and do mm -hmm. things illegally to get what, like, other non-black people have. Right. And so I, I, like, especially now, but in the 70s, like, I totally understand that. Being furious about, like, the number of, like, wrongfully convicted, mm -hmm. the overpopulating of the prisons with people of color, totally in line with that with this group. Yeah. Um, and so we'll get to that in just a second. But, like, to your point, I think that, like, I don't know, like, I hear what you're saying about, like, breaking them, literally breaking breaking them out of jail is the wrong way to go. But like, Rabia and I do have a plan for Adnan. Like, we do have a plan to get him, to like, to break him out in the middle of the night. Yeah, and this dummy you're talking to who doesn't drive is driving the getaway car. That's how invested I am in that. But I do feel yeah. like it's so short-sighted because it's like, okay, who's going to get in trouble the most when this plan yeah. falls apart? The person you're trying to bust out. I know, but I, and I hear you and we, like, I, I totally get it. But like, we all know that doing it the right way means that person's probably going to be in jail for 20 years while we're going through the legal system, you know? Oh, no, I get it. I totally get it. So I totally understand that Denimore prison break thing where you're like, I'm just going to sneak the hacksaw in through the Hamburg meat and get this person the fuck out now. Except those guys were actually guilty. <laughs> she was an idiot, that lady. Totally. <laughs> she was like, not. A, I was not a fan of hers. Don't make me her in this scenario. I don't want to. She snuck hacksaws in through Hamburg meat, you guys. <laughs> so the guy that they're going to break out is Donald DeFreeze. And... They tell us about him. Like, DeFreeze wasn't just some criminal. I mean, he wasn't some guy who was just like some pimp or some dope dealer from day one. DeFreeze had been married. He had kids. He worked full time. It's just, I think he couldn't live the American uh, dream, the thing you're seeing on TV. He couldn't do it. So he also became a thief. He was like a, like a good guy. He wasn't like your common criminal. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm thinking that the next 20 minutes of this documentary are going to be like the fucking prison break scene. No, we never get the prison 
heartbreak scene. No, we don't. But we get like where DeFreeze ends up and he's with like someone named Ms. Moon and someone yes. named Nancy. And then suddenly the whole vibe of the documentary changes because apparently there's a lot more to this DeFreeze fella yeah. than we originally thought. I want to point out this Ms. Moon person that he ends up going to her house. It's not like M-S-M-O-O-N. Her name is actually M-I-Z-M-O-O-N. Like Ms. Right. Moon is her name. Ms. Moon. And it's not her name. It's her name. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm kind of obsessed with it. She's also a lesbian. Like, I want to like these people, Jillian. I want to like these people. She's a terrorist, though, too, right? Like, a... <laughs> yeah. Okay, right. I just want to... That's the... Spoiler, you guys. <laughs> okay. They all end up being horrible, horrible people. Because, look, we do meet a lot of people in this one. Wasn't sure if I yeah. had the right yeah. Ms. Moon. She's yeah. the terrorist. No, okay, great. she's a terrorist. Okay, okay. I just want to make sure. Look, yeah. just trying to get my facts straight. Like, all of the talking heads who were there for all of this are telling us, like... It became obvious to us that, you know, what we were really doing was that we were, like, forming our own little group to be able to respond to things and be able to do things that were illegal. We were going to do our own thing. We had our own ideas about revolution, and we were a little team, and we were all going to do it. <laughs> but this guy, Russ, who's with us throughout, he's like, yeah. yeah. And then we like formed into a group and found ways to do a bunch of illegal shit. Like, we bought a bunch of guns, and we familiarized right. ourselves with weapons. <laughs> and it's not like we had any kind of plan. We were just a bunch of angry people buying weapons. I mean, we didn't have some great plan. We weren't going to like, well, now we'll take the South in uh, 75, and then we'll move into the... Midwest in 76. I mean, we didn't, you know, this wasn't, we didn't think we were Mao out there with the Red Army. I did make the note that I do feel like some sort of plan would have been helpful. Maybe fewer people would have fucking died. Yeah, and he's like, yes, okay, fine, we went to the gun range. Okay, we rehearsed, but rehearsed for what? I just don't know, Jillian. Stop asking me questions. And I'm like, oh, all right, Russ, I'm going to keep asking you questions. So sorry. Uh, All right, you guys, we got to take it down. This sucks. This sucks, the story that we're going to tell you. So it's Oakland, California, November 6th. 1973 and we learn about the murder of a man named Marcus Foster. The murder of Marcus Foster, who was the school superintendent in Oakland, was one of these appalling acts that made no sense whatsoever. Here was the first black school superintendent in the history of Oakland, a good man, suddenly gunned down. That guy to freeze the black man that they broke out of Attica or whatever the hell prison he was in. It was his idea that they needed to fucking kill this guy. Right. So you're like, wait a second. Remember, like, we agree with these people. They feel like the enemy of the government. They don't like the war. They don't like the way people are being treated. They want to help the homeless. They think, like, black people are being wrongfully incarcerated. We agree with them on everything. Yeah. Why are they killing this guy? It's like, wait, okay, so you're a black guy to freeze, and then you're going to kill another black guy to make a statement about how black people are treated. Yeah. And even like Russ, the guy who's like, we didn't have a plan. He's like, look, I'm with you. I was like, DeFreeze, girl. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. And like that guy, DeFreeze is the one that actually shoots the guy with the shotgun. Like he's the trigger man. Yeah. And like, we learned that the bullets they use are dipped in cyanide. Like Ugh. what the f- Fuck. And so we have this reporter who is with us throughout who's kind of like telling us the story. I don't know if you noticed this or not. It wasn't until my second viewing that I realized this reporter is like legit smoking a joint for his interview. Is he? How did I miss that? Yes. How did I miss that? Like the smoke of his cigarette is like wafting up and then he goes to like take a drag. I'm like, that's what my mother would call a marijuana cigarette. I was like, wait, marijuana? Because you were like his cigarette. Girl. I know. It's <laughs> you guys watch the documentary. You will see this guy fully smoking a joint. That is incredible. I'm going to go back after we wrap because you know I'm exhausted and I have like no energy to do anything. I'm going yeah. back and watching it because I got to see this totally. for myself. <laughs> 
But this reporter is all of us because he's like... I mean, the whole thing sounded ridiculous. Symbionese Liberation Army killing the black school superintendent. Who were these people? Who the fuck are these people and why did they want to kill this guy? And you guys, like, the answer is, as you would imagine, very unsatisfying. We learned that DeFreeze, the trigger man here, he thinks that this guy Foster, the superintendent... And as far as DeFreeze was concerned, Foster was the front man for some just horrendous police apparatus that was set up. The issue was ID for high school students. IDs for the high school kids. Like, what the fuck? And nothing makes sense. So, okay, so Foster with this horrible police apparatus, but then has to do with high school IDs for students? And, like, the guy has to be killed over it? Like, what kind of crazy conspiracy shit do you actually think is happening here? So this group has written a letter to the paper. That's kind of like why this reporter guy is here. And their army, how do you say it? Symbionese. How do you say it? The Symbionese Liberation Army. I don't think there's a B in there. Is it Symbionese? Symbionese. There's a B? There's a B, girl. Wait, I'm live Googling. (laughs) Yes, the Symbionese Liberation Army. And sometimes they say Symbionese, but it's spelled Symbionese Liberation Army. And they'll call it the SLA. Let's go with SLA. Yeah, we're calling it SLA. SLA. So that's like this army of people who are just like shooting people left and right. Right. And so they have taken responsibility for this murder, but like nobody's been caught. So two months later, these two guys who are members of the SLA get pulled over by like a traffic cop. This is how this shit goes down every time. I know. Every time. My God. If you guys are going to go do the murders, don't own a car. Like you are going to get caught if you are a murderer who owns a car. <laughs> like the cops find SLA weapons and propaganda in the possession of these two guys. And so they know that like even if these guys didn't pull the trigger, like they're involved in the group. And so the cops try to arrest them. These guys have a fucking shootout with the cops in the middle of the highway. Ramiro and Russell Little were taken into custody two nights ago and they exchanged shots with a conquered policeman. They found us in the van. Joe was in a shootout with the cop and everything. As far as they're concerned, man, we're armed and dangerous revolutionaries. Within less than 48 hours, we were in San Quentin prison. I mean, I'd never been arrested before. They tell us that within less than 48 hours, these two guys are in San Quentin. And one of them had, like, never even been arrested before for anything. And now suddenly he's in San Quentin. And I just said, well, it's a result of your poor choices, boys. Well, here's the thing. Because then Russ is like, well, all right. So we had to be held accountable for our actions. And that only gave us two (laughs) options. Either we drop everything. We meaning, like, the SLA, this group. Either they drop everything and disappear. Or they go into hiding and find out what to do next. And it's probably going to be pretty violent. Right. So. The cops are on to them, kind of. And, like, that safe house where that DeFreeze guy went when he got out of jail. Oh, with Ms. Moon, of course. How could I forget? The SLA is kind of like me because they're like, well, let's go zero to 100 real fast. They burn that fucking house to the ground. They literally set it on fire. Neighbors be damned. Like, burn down the whole neighborhood. Who cares? But in the rubble of this house, the cops find, like, a map for the murder of Mr. Foster, the superintendent. Right. And literally the map has the words ambush written across the top. Like, how fucking disgusting is that i know and our reporter friend i think his name is tim he's like they were just actively looking for shit to do right the sla in its formative time at that point was looking for targets emily harris worked in the registrar's office at uc berkeley so they had a pretty fair uh, knowledge of who was at berkeley and they were looking for the right one 
all of a sudden we get the on-screen text day one and I'm like oh my god because Patty <laughs> Hearst is on the list of people because on the news report they call her Patricia Hearst sometimes not Patricia Patricia <laughs> there's been a big kidnapping on the west coast the victim is Patricia Hearst, the daughter of newspaper executive Randolph Hearst and a granddaughter of the legendary William Randolph Hearst. And Patricia Hearst has been kidnapped, granddaughter of the legendary <laughs> William Randolph Hearst. I'm like, which, you know, class we all know from Newsies, right? We of all, course. that's... Yes, Pulitzer and Hearst, they think we're nothing. Are we nothing? No. No! And they call her a newspaper heiress. And basically, like, <laughs> Patty Hearst, at this point, she's a sophomore in college. And yeah. they just, like, busted into the apartment or wherever that she was living beating up her fiance a 26 year old guy named Stephen Weed this poor bastard is really going through <laughs> yeah. it in this documentary <laughs> you guys we are gonna get so much more of Steve what's his name Stephen the fiance Stephen the fiance who like again just to go back to Chicago for five seconds sure. if you guys have ever seen the Chicago movie or seen the musical and you have you ever heard the song Mr. Cellophane like it is about this guy I this guy <laughs> he's just like this it's poor Mr. guy Cellophane. gets his ass kicked like and also I'm like Patty Hearst is one of like the richest heiresses in the entire what does she see in this guy i love it i love that she does but this is not the kind of guy i would imagine she'd be dating you know what i mean yeah well he probably loves her and is very nice (laughs) (laughs) mr cellophane should have been my name name because you could walk right by me (laughs) see right through me and And never know i'm there I don't know where I went with that. I just went up and then I went down. I heard myself go up and then I went. You guys, this is a very musical episode. I mean, we have to. I know. Whatever it takes. So they beat the shit out of this guy and they steal Patty. We are told they throw her in a trunk. And look, I know we cover this in like every other episode we do. If if anyone's going to kidnap me, I promise I'll be quiet. Just please don't put me in the trunk. That scares me to death. Well, you know, you know what to do, right? Remember what I told you to do? Are you supposed to like kick out a taillight or something? Yes, don't say that to me like it's the most absurd thing you've ever heard. <laughs> that saves well, lives. So Ellen told me that once too. And then I thought, well, now I'm never safe because the only thing scarier than being in a trunk would be being behind a car where all of a sudden a hand shoots out of a right. taillight. Yeah. <laughs> I would immediately drive off the road. I'm not saying that anything <laughs> is going to end up happy. You know, I'm like it's all bad <laughs> but it's what you do yeah to- <laughs> That's what you do. I don't know what kind of panic mode I would go into if I was in a car with, like, let's say, Steve and Daisy, and we're just driving, listening to the Indigo Girls, as you do, and all of a sudden a fucking hand pops out of the taillight in the car in front of us. I can't imagine. Yeah, Steve, Steve, did you see that hand, Steve? (laughs) Steve, is that a person, Steve? My God. (laughs) Steve, don't drive off the road, Steve. Oh, for God's sake. It's horrible, Steve. It's horrible. It would either be that or just like, Chrissy, turn down the volume. Yeah. That would be the day that your hair actually spontaneously combusts and just becomes on fire. So because the Hearst family is like the most one among the richest and most powerful families in the United States at the time, the media just camps out in front of their gigantic mansion. And every single day there's a press conference and it's either her father, Randolph Hearst, not the guy from Newsies, the guy from Newsies son, or like poor Steve, the fiance or the sister. And it's just every morning it's like you get your cup of coffee and you go out to like greet the press when you're going through this, like your daughter's just been kidnapped by 
DSLA. And these press people who are camped out in front of the Hearst Mansion, like, they don't ever leave. And they say to us, like, It was the only place to go. And so they made a story of it to some degree. So I'd get calls in the morning saying, who's there? Well, two's here, and so is four, and so is five. I'm seven. Well, you better hang around. And so no one left because the other was there. It's not that there was that much to report. It's just that every other channel was there, so we couldn't leave. Yeah. You see them, like, lying down on their cars. And I made a note. Like, I get that this is the 70s, but, girl, the fucking pants that these, like, professional reporters <laughs> would wear. Like, the plaid pants that they just wore in public. Yeah. They do get super garbagey because they're also really bored, like, waiting for, I don't know, some <laughs> other horrible <laughs> ransom note to come in. But they're yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. oh, ooh, like, oh, stick them up. Oh, hands up. Oh, hey, hey. Maybe, maybe the SLA <laughs> but- will come shoot. Us and I'm like, they're killing people. I know. And we also learned people are sending the reporters like food and booze. And at one point, we see these two hammered reporters like just talking to a camera, making like Nazi jokes. Where's your microphone? Okay, what we're gonna do I'm now. sorry, we're busy. We're, we're busy now. This is one we're of the all time great Nazi spies. <laughs> <laughs> Al Miller. Would, would I say a few words in the uh, camera? Not, not to this pa- fascist pig press. <laughs> I want to say the word icky and I don't really use that word but it's very like oh I don't like how that feels I don't like the idea I'm not a day drinker never have been watching these guys being hammered at like noon when they're like reporting on a like fucking kidnapping and murderers it it was very odd it was not something we've seen before that's the way to do it though right So the SLA, they're writing these letters and they're they're demanding that everything they send to the Hearst family is published because yeah. it's not even a Newsies joke. It's just like they control so much of the newspapers and the media. So the SLA is trying to use this as a mouthpiece. And so the other thing, of course, like every ransom note is if anyone tries to rescue Patty or arrest any of the people holding her hostage, they will kill Patty Hearst make, in no uncertain terms. Like they are ready and willing to do so. Right. My note here is, well, we're back to the reporter who's full on smoking a joint during the interview i can't believe i missed that (laughs) and this guy is telling us that like the point of kidnapping patty hearst was that they wanted to do a prisoner exchange they keep referring to patty like they arrested her they served an arrest warrant for the crimes committed by her fucking bougie parents or whatever right whatever and so they want to exchange patty but they quickly realize that's not gonna happen they realize they're not gonna get a prisoner exchange the next best thing they can do is to create some kind of enormous act so that's the food giveaway so the SLA quickly changes from like demanding this prisoner exchange to basically saying that the Hearst have to fund getting food for all the poor people of California like for as long as they decide they have to do it. Right. So they call it a food giveaway. Yeah. So for four weeks, they want people to be able to go into like any supermarket on these certain days, get all the food they want. It has to be the best possible quality. <laughs> so the SLA is making all these demands, but they're making it through a tape, through this piece of audio, and it's Patty Hearst, like, reading their list of demands. Which, by the way, it sounds like it was recorded in this sound booth. Like, it, it, I know. Like it, it sounds great. I know. She sounds fine. She is, I know I said this word wrong once. I said non-pulsed. She is non-plussed. This girl does not sound, and this is kind of important for, like, the end of this documentary. She doesn't sound scared. She doesn't sound like she's having a bad time. Feels like she's kind of enjoying the company of her captors. Mom, Dad, I'm okay. I want to get out of here, but I'm... The only way I'm going to is if we do it their way. And I just hope that you'll do what they say, Dad, and just do it quickly. 
I'm fine, but please do what they say and do it fast. Thank you so much. So maybe her parents have just taught her not to panic in like bad I feel like when you're a family that's that rich, you have to anticipate that somebody's getting kidnapped at some point. You know what I mean? <laughs> So the dad and Patty Hearst are communicating through these demand letters and the press. Right. But they're not doing it in real time, so to speak. So it's like the SLA will send letters. They'll get to the Hearst house three or five days after they initially write them. (laughs) And like, what are they doing for those three days? Are they just playing Parcheesi? Like, what are they doing? It's just not productive. Like, if you want a fucking revolution, (laughs) then have somebody hand deliver the letter about all this millions of dollars of food. So speaking of the food, Mr. Hearst, not from Newsies, is just like... It's a little frightening because the original demand is what I was afraid of from the beginning, is that one that's impossible to meet. However, in the next 24 or 48 hours, I'll be trying to do my best to come back with some kind of a counteroffer that's acceptable. This is impossible. Like, I cannot give $300 million worth of food away. And that's the number he says, $300 million. So yeah. they come up with a counter offer. Right. You guys, this is this gets real bananas real fast. Right. Now we're getting more contact with the SLA. And this guy, DeFreeze, he is now going by the name SinQ. And he he's the guy who supported killing the first black superintendent, Marcus Foster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he pulled the trigger. He was the shotgun guy. His audio is absolutely terrifying because this is when it really like it goes from Patty Hearst saying I'm totally fine hurry up please to DeFreeze (laughs) aka SinQ talking about you know Hearst is a fascist and it's propaganda and I wish to say to Mr. Hearst and Mrs. Hearst I am quite willing to carry out the execution of your daughter to save the life of starving men women and children of every race and if as you and others so naively believe that we will lose Let it be known that even in death we will win. I am quite willing to carry out the execution of your daughter. Yeah. Like that could have been the end sentence that really like made a mark. No, he continues. Yeah. And he's like, even in death, we will win. And you know, if you're so naive and I'm like, oh my God. And you realize the SLA, even whether they planned it or not, because clearly they didn't have a plan. They are totally in control here. Completely in control. Yeah. And then, so now we're at day 13 and we get another tape from Patty. You guys, this is when Patty starts to get a little indignant. (laughs) And it, so it went from like, I mean, day 13 is not that much time. I think the first the first audio was like day four or something. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Seems pretty quick for her to sound the way she sounds. Because she's saying, she's like, I swear to God, I'm being treated wonderfully. She says wonderfully. Ugh. She's like, just like any prisoner of war would be treated, Dad, stop listening to other people. And she says, I'm a warning, so they want to return me safely. Like, let's just get this done. Also, since I am an example, and it's really important that everybody understand that, you know, I am an example and a warning. And because of this, it's very important to the SLA that I return safely. So people should should stop acting like I'm dead. And mom should get out of her black dress. That doesn't help at all. Stop acting like I'm dead. Mom should get out of her black dress. Patty! And I'm like, Patty, the last tape had to freeze talking about how he'd kill you in a heartbeat with no regrets. So (laughs) maybe you didn't hear that one. I don't know, but I just heard it and I'm traumatized by it. And then she ends, and this is important. She's like, tell mom to get out of that stupid black dress. She's making a fool out of herself. But then (laughs) she's like, oh, and take care of that idiot fiance of mine and hurry up. Okay, bye. Click. And I'm like, what? (laughs) 
It's like three afterthoughts in a row. Oh, and hurry up. Oh, okay, bye. I'm like, what? I know. I know. It's kind of like how this documentary ends four different times. Yes. You know, we learn on day 16, they finally, like, they've made arrangements for $2 million to be delivered to a tax-exempt charitable organization that is, like, able, they say, to distribute food to the poor and to the needy. Right, because what happens is the SLA has now forced a situation where the Hearst family has now created the largest private volunteer organization in the history of the country yeah. and what is happening is that people are getting what they need and it's all over the news so we're seeing how many like black and brown people need help and how they're treated and so I'm like well that's good right like am I allowed to say that that's a good thing <laughs> yeah you definitely are and the thing is the Hearst should have just done this anyway like I it know. shouldn't have taken their kid getting fucking kidnapped and the SLA's like I know that's what we've been screaming <laughs> yeah yeah but there you guys killed some people before we got to this point so we're not on your side either either SLA but the whole thing is that like it like the documentary does a, a really interesting thing where like it looks like it's going great you see the thousands of people in line to get their food you see the distribution center it all looks like it's going great but then of course we realize what literally happens of course is that because of the lack of coordination because of just the just the chaos that, that surrounded it all it almost comes off as a racist episode in, in which people look like damn fools fighting over a turkey some guy hits a guy over the head with a chair like it's fucking WrestleMania. Two people get murdered because of this organization. It is chaos down here, Tom. I mean, honestly, like you can't look at that footage and say anything other than no. it is chaos down here, Tom. No. And I think it's our reporter who's like, totally. it also really did a disservice because then all the racists out there are just like, oh, see how they act? Like it's just like horrible, horrible shit in the 70s. So yeah. it went well for maybe five minutes. It went well in theory, but the minute it was actually being acted out, it just all is chaos down here, Tom. And then it takes the Attorney General of California to step in, who's like, yeah, we're shutting this shit the fuck down. These people, these billionaires went around us to negotiate with terrorists. We don't do that. And if anybody tries to do that again, they will be fucking prosecuted. Like, this never should have happened. You know, it's right. starting with, like, you shouldn't have kidnapped the kid in the first place, but, like, let's not negotiate with terrorists. It's never going to work out great. And Hearst agrees, because the SLA is like, we have more demands now, and we weren't happy with the $2 million you put into food distribution. We want $4 million, and we want it done in mm, five minutes. And Hearst is like... The size of the latest demand of the SLA is far beyond my financial capability. Therefore, the matter is now out of my hand. I mean, he literally throws his hands in the air. This guy's got $4 million in his fucking pocket. I mean, he's saying this standing on the steps of his $18 million mansion. Like, this guy basically was like, well, I guess they're going to kill her. I'm not going to give you, I'm not parting ways with my $4 million. Right. And then we get two bits of audio, and I'm going to give you the days of them so you can really see the evolution here. So now yeah, yeah, it's yeah. day 34. This is after Hearst is like, well, I'm out. I don't have $4 million lying around. Yes, you do. Whatever. I've been hearing reports about the food program. So far, it sounds like you and your advisors have managed to turn it into a real disaster. You said that it was out of your hands. What you should have said was that you wash your hands of it. It sounds like most of the food is low quality. No one received any beef or lamb. I didn't see any beef or lamb. Also, <laughs> lamb? Oh, God. I mean, I knew you were going to have a problem with that, but, like, Patty is literally mad at her dad. She literally, she says, not the kind of food our family is used to eat. <laughs> so, day 34, Patty's starting to turn a little bit, right? Yeah, totally. Then, we just jump to day 59, and I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, that's a lot, a lot can happen. 
from day 34 to 59. And now Patty Hearst is no longer relaying a message. Like the audio, her tone changes, her voice changes. And she said, she's like, tell the people, dad, tell the people about all the horrible stuff you do. And like all the stuff, all the, like where your money really goes. And I'm like, oh, yeah. My God. I've been given the choice of one, being released in a safe area, or two, joining the forces of the Symbionese Liberation Army and fighting for my freedom and the freedom of all oppressed people. I have chosen to stay and fight. She says, I've been given the name Tanya after a comrade who fought alongside Che in Bolivia. And as we're hearing this audio, you see like a slow zoom in on this image of Patty Hearst with a fucking machine gun. I mean, it's that famous, famous image, like the beret and like the hat. I mean, that's like famous. She's Tanya now, by the way. I can't believe we just like skated right over that. She goes by Tanya. But you guys, it is in this audio that she also is talking to us about how she's no longer in love with her fiance. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. She's like, oh, and as for my ex-fiance, and you yeah. see his head went up like, eh, what? This is the first he's hearing about the breakup. As for my ex-fiance, the fact is, I don't care if I ever see him again. During the last few months, Stephen has shown himself to be a sexist, ageist pig. He has shown to be a sexist, ageist pig now oh they God. get this is amazing they get this piece of audio and yeah. again remember how we like their morning routine was you wake up oh check the mail let's see the audio that she said today and then just like yeah with your morning coffee go out and address the press totally. like that was it bright and early <laughs> poor steve the now ex-fiance listens to this and he like shuffles out like still groggy and he's like i don't i don't have anything prepared i'm not in any particular right frame of mind perhaps to be talking now i just finished listening to the tape minutes ago but it seemed important to me to say some things that i'm feeling right now and not think about them too much and screw it up what he ends up saying is like patty i love you and i respect your opinion and i respect your oh decision gosh. and i guess like good luck with being a terrorist now i don't, I imagine that he turns around and goes back into the house and the maid has packed all of his things and his suitcase is like neatly waiting for him in the front hallway do you think he was a little relieved <laughs> No, no. I think that guy had dollar signs in his eyes from the second he laid eyes on Patty Hearst. <laughs> There's not a shred of relief in Steve? No. Okay. Because you don't, feel, like, I know they have a lot of money, but they also come with a lot of stuff when your oh, family's totally. that rich. You know what I mean? I'm sure it's like, oh, God. There's a whole musical about how horrible they were. Pulitzer and Hearst, they think we're nothing. <laughs> Are we nothing? No. no! So it's day 71, you guys, April 15th, 1974. And Donald DeFreeze, we're hearing this like tape of him talking about, like this must be after the fact, right? It's a very serious, like harrowing recap of what just happened. Yes, the group has robbed a bank. They've shot and killed two innocent bystanders. Casualties, people forces, none. Enemy forces, none. Civilian, two. Reasons. Subject one, male. Subject was ordered to lay on the floor face down. Subject refused order and jumped out the front door of the bank. Therefore, the subject was shot. Patty Hearst, now Tanya, is there. She's part of the bank robbery. And we have the actual fucking footage. And it really is terrifying. Like, it is. It is. But explain to me why the footage from 1974 is better than most footage we have today. Explain it to me. I know. I'm, I'm, I, I will take the time. This will be an extended episode 
Explain to me why the footage from 74 is a hundred times better than any footage we've ever seen in any episode we've ever covered. I mean, with like what they're wearing and the good the machine guns they have and like how they're all like young and hot. It looks like it was filmed by Scorsese. Like it, it looks like it's out of a fucking gangster movie. A hundred percent. And again, Patty Hearst is holding yeah. an assault rifle and is is robbing this bank. She is a major player in this. She is not just sitting down and because we get hard of hearing people now and they are yeah. now looking at the at the footage to read lips and find yeah. out what she's saying. And they read her lips as to what she was saying in the bank. I'm Tanya up, up, up against the wall and everybody giggled because they couldn't say it. And I said, MF. And they said, yeah, that's it. I am Tanya. Listen to me up against the wall, motherfucker. And I'm like, all right, well, she's in. She is in. I will say she's not super good at being a bank robber. Like, when you see the surveillance video and you see the other people who are, like, really into it, uh-huh. she's a little timid for her debut as a bank robber, I will say. I mean, you can't really rehearse it, right? It's like you just kind of have to learn by doing. You got to jump in and just, you know, hope for the best. <laughs> So they and like they don't make that much money, you guys. They make off with ten thousand nine hundred and sixty dollars in cash. And Patty is finally named in a federal warrant. She's being charged with being a material witness to the bank robbery. I'm like, hang on a second. She has a fucking machine gun in her hands, and she's being charged as a witness. Right, a witness, Pat. That's what money gets. Look, she's a pretty white girl with money. She's gonna be just fine. But let me ask you. Let me ask you this. Where did that ten thousand dollars go? Did it go to the black and brown people who need it, or did it go into right. uh, Sync? pocket. I'm curious. Did it buy more weapons for them or did it go to help the people and the society they are supposedly fighting for? I'd love to know. Same. I would like to audit their books myself. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Steve? Steve? <laughs> so the thing is, the group, they had originated in like the Berkeley, San Francisco area. They hightailed it out of town, girl. They went down to Los Angeles. And it's a whole different ball of wax down in LA, girl. I thought you were going to say a whole new ball game and I was going to be so proud of you. No, I don't know those words. That's not something that would be comfortably in my vocabulary, I don't think. <laughs> So it's May 16th, 1974, and two of the members are at, like, a sporting goods store where one of them attempts to shoplift a pair of, like, fucking socks, you guys. As William and Emily Harris departed Mel's sporting goods, a scuffle ensued, after which the store employees were the target of fire from a van parked across the street. Patricia Hurst fired the shots at Mel's sporting goods. Patty, from the car, fires a fucking shotgun into the store from across the street. She is in, girl. She is in. For sweat socks. <laughs> Again, $10,000 could buy a couple of good pairs of socks in Q. Where'd you put the money? And the things that is so important about this is that, like, now the cops know that, like, this band of SLA roving idiots, they're in LA. And it doesn't take them long to find the house where they're staying because the people in their neighborhood don't like them as neighbors. They fucking oh, yeah. rat them out. Like, I mean, before the cops even finish asking the question, they're like, oh, over there. It's the house over there. Absolutely. So it's day 103. The cops are outside the house where the SLA is living. They're like telling them to come out now. Like the cops are kind of just standing around. There's reporters. There's bystanders. You guys, out of nowhere, it becomes a fucking war zone. A white house with the two windows that we can see there. As far as I can determine, and you've got as close as I have. That's bad. That's bad. Do you 
And it's like a little much, to say the least. It's like the riot gear, and I'm like, wait, they're yeah. right there. It's tons of gunfire. People are scattering, running for cover. It's unbelievable, but the reason we see it all is because all of the reporters are there. Like, there's this one woman who's like, yeah, no, oh my God. Tom, Tom, I can't get any closer without getting my brains blown out, Tom. I'm as close she as you can get. What, uh, what do you want me to do? She, she says that. She says that. Brains blown out. We, we are on the scene. You can't get anybody closer than we're standing right now and not have the brains blown out. You guys, the gunfire is across the street, and there is guns on all sides, just blasting. No one's ducking. No one's running and screaming for their lives. I, people were very calm in this decade, it seems to me. I, well, it's the seventh. They were just like, what? Like, And California, like how many murders and rapists did they have running around? They had like plenty to deal with. But this house explodes. Like This felt yeah. very like Waco to me, where it's like it got yeah, yeah, so yeah. violent and out of hand, and like there had to have been a better way. And remember, this is the SLA headquarters, so like the cops just went in and killed everyone. Patty Hearst is not in the home at this point. And yeah. we have all these people saying like, wait, so the cops didn't even try to negotiate? Like, wait, if they really thought that Patty Hearst was in that house, would they just like throw a bunch of firebombs in it? Well, and that's why we get like the conspiracy theory from like one of the guys who was in the group, but also wasn't there that day. They knew that Hearst was not in that house. That was all bullshit. They knew because of the way that Bill and Emily and Hearst had gotten away in the paths they had taken everything, and when they had surrounded that house and put it under surveillance and all that, they knew she wasn't there. That was all bullshit. This guy's idea is that they have been tailing Patty so they know where she is, mm -hmm. and they knew she wasn't there, and that's why they went in and killed all these five people. We'll never know if that's true or not, but that's this guy's story. And because of that, it's like Patty Hearst and two other people. That's the SLA yeah. now. That's it. That is so crazy to think about. Oh, my God. I know. So it's day 442. They rob another bank. Patty's not a part of this bank robbery, it seems, but a woman gets killed. Mm -hmm. And that's like a big deal to the group that like they didn't mean to kill this like innocent person this time so now like they're all in their feelings. Then what are you doing? What are you doing? I know. And then finally day 592 592 it's been over a year. Oh. September 18th 1975 Patty Hearst is arrested. At 2.25 p.m. less than 30 minutes ago we arrested Patty Hearst at 625 Morse in the outer mission district. And Patty, when she's asked what her occupation is at booking down at the station, she tells them she's an urban gorilla. I just said, fuck off, Patty. Gorilla with a U, by the way. That's gorilla with a U. Yeah, still don't know how to spell it, girl. Still got that red dash underneath it. There's a lot of spelling errors in my notes. A lot, I'm sure. Oh, I know. I'm not new here. But the thing is, everyone's like, well, how liable is she, right? Because she was a kidnap victim. She was held, you know, but she also held people at gunpoint. And then we get Patty's side of the story. And then everything comes to a screeching halt because or we get like we get the affidavit version of Patty's side of the story, which they say was written by Patty, but very much to me feels like it was written by lawyers. Oh, what's in the affidavit is horrible and terrifying. If, yeah. You know, like she says she was placed in a closet on the floor. The closet was approximately five to six feet in length and about two and a half or three feet in width. During all this time, she was in a constant state of fear and terror and expected at any moment to be murdered by her captors. She was fearing for her life on a daily basis. They were feeding her LSD. She was raped and all of this horrible stuff. You know, if she made one false move, they'd kill her instantly. I mean, it's it's a really 
like I hate to use the word interesting, but it's like so she was kidnapped and then like Stockholm syndrome is incredibly rare, but it seems like if all this horrible stuff was happening, like she was in this really shitty abusive relationship and stayed out of fear, which happens all the time. Yeah, I mean, it's very, you know, it would be easy for us to go on and on and on about is it true? Is it not? I've certainly never experienced Stockholm syndrome. Like there are other really well-known cases like the case of Sean Hornbeck, which we talked about a little bit in yep. I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Um, That kid that was kidnapped and like living with his kidnapper, like the kidnapper let him use the truck he had access to the internet yeah. the kidnapper had a job like he could have left any time and he didn't and obviously you believe that this like young kid like must have been suffering from Stockholm syndrome so it must be real I just feel like not being a mental health professional it's a very weird thing to go from you know like that that picture of her with the shotgun talking about how she's an urban gorilla and she knows what she has to do to like all of a sudden she's saying all of it was a lie and I never felt sad and I yeah like you like you're saying like I stayed out of fear so I don't know what what are your what's your thought yeah I mean, look, if you are if you're being fed drugs and you're hiding in a closet for your life and you're being sexually assaulted, I think that does a number on you mentally. And I think you're probably very easily influenced. And I think it's so easy to say, like, well, why wouldn't she want to go back to this life of actual luxury and privilege? But something was happening there where she felt like this. uh, I'll just be I'll be here. Yeah. 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 No. Like, that's the ticket. This all makes a shit ton of sense. Yeah. And we we get the on-screen text that following a sensational trial, Patty Hearst is sentenced to seven years in prison for her willing participation in the Hibernia bank robbery. But she gets out after 22 months and we see the press conference where she gets out and she is like a different fucking completely different person. Well, this is quite a difference from last time and thank you all. And I'm really happy to be going home. And I want to thank my parents and my sisters and all of the people on the committee to release me. And this is what we worked so hard to get. Yeah, completely different person. And like time is just kind of going by, right? And we're just getting like some updates and she married her bodyguard and Bill Clinton gave her a full pardon. But in the middle of all this, Patty Hearst goes on what can only be described as a sexy talk show. (laughs) Because the music (laughs) is kind of sexy and swanky. They have her walking down this very long staircase, like a a curvy. It's also like it's either British or Australian. Australian. I feel like this woman is like famous. I feel like she's like Oprah in whatever country this is happening in. But like when she announces Patty Hearst, she announces her in the most bananas way. Now, my next guest went from kidnap victim to terrorist. She was once the most wanted woman in America. My next guest used to be a terrorist. Everyone, please put your hands together for Miss Patty Hearst. And I'm like, and then it's like, and like down walks Patty Hearst. And I'm like, what am I? Where am I? I do have to say, now that I've seen it, I cannot understand why every talk show doesn't have some very long, curvy staircase that your guest has to walk down with this yes. kind of music with a shoulder move. Why are we not doing that all the time? That's how I want to come out for the next live show. I'm saying it. That's what I want. Oh my God, you guys, we did, what's this called? Gorilla, the taking of Patty Hearst. That's right. This documentary should be called, the second half of this documentary is about the taking of Patty Hearst. Yes. Yeah. It's like, oh, gotcha, history lesson. You're like, oh, shit. Oh, God, here we go. You guys, if you want more Jillian and me, find us on the Patreon. Over 200 full bonus episodes to download and binge right this second. I'll be gone in the dark, The Vow, Fear City, Ooh. old school stuff like The Staircase and Making a Murderer. The Jinx and Lorena, Don't F with Cats, Tiger King, all of that stuff. All the ones that have like multiple episodes. 
Crossroads, Heaven's Gate, yeah. uh, Night Stalker, all that. That's a wild, wild country. Remember with Sheila? Oh, my. Oh, there's, there's an oldie. She's an oldie, but a goodie. I know. Well, Sheila has a new documentary, so I'm sure we'll be talking about her soon enough. I know. We're doing it for sure. Girl, can I tell the people what we're doing next? Because I'm so excited. I want. It's like giving you a present. Please tell the people. I know. <laughs> you guys, we're doing Sasquatch from Hulu. It's a three-part series. We're doing it in two episodes. I don't know the last time I was so excited to do a documentary. I am so excited. It is thrilling. Honestly, I, 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 I cannot wait to go on this ride with you. I know how you feel about Sasquatch. You know how yes. I feel about documentaries where our narrators are weed farmers. I'm super totally. in. Let's go. So you guys, stay tuned for the trailer for that and our hilarious outtakes. Find Jillian on the social media at Jillian with a G with all the things. I'm at Patrick Hines on Twitter at Patrick Hines underscore on Instagram and follow TCO on Instagram, you guys. It's True Crime Obsessed Podcast. Our Instagram is off the hook. Oh, as they boy. Say. Dad, God, too many, too many funny cigarettes over there, huh? On the Zoom. My marijuana cigarettes, which I would never do that. I, and if you do it, I love you. That's fine. Make your choices. I have no judgment, but it's just not for me, girl. Not my marijuana cigarettes. I can't um, smoke. Like I just can't yeah. inhale. I'm bad at it. It just wouldn't be fun for anyone. But pass me no, that gummy. <laughs> we love you guys. We love you. Thank you so much. Bye. Someone doesn't have to be out in the woods too long to feel like. I might not belong here, and something is going to take me out. I've been a journalist for about 25 years, embedding with street gangs, going undercovers in neo-Nazi skinhead. And I'm going to tell you the craziest story I've ever heard. I was working on a cannabis farm up in Northern California. I remember a guy telling me about three bodies torn to pieces. He said, a Bigfoot killed those guys. A Bigfoot murdered three guys on a dope farm. There's always been rumors of legendary violence. The story of Sasquatch or of man-like monsters has been with us from the very beginning. There's a belief in supernatural forces that runs deeper up here than most places. You believe that Sasquatch can teleport? And no. Yes, you do. No, I yes, do you not. Do. You do. Do not go there. People pass through here and they just see how beautiful it is. They have no idea the shit that goes on in this area. As scary as some of these stories are, we still want to figure it out. People are afraid of the unknown. The evidence convinces me that Sasquatch is dangerous. It scared the crap out of me. I don't know if I believe in Bigfoot, but I sure as hell believe there are monsters among us. Even though we ain't got hats or badges, we're a union just by saying so. And the world will know. Anyway, hi, welcome. <laughs> what did I say? Orlando. Orlando. <laughs> no, they did not go from like Berkeley, California down to, to Orlando, Orlando, girl. They did not travel. <laughs> they didn't have a plan with all the guns. You think they had a plan to drive across the country? No. I, I know that the Hare Krishnas are a thing and you see them still. Who are they? They are in a Christmas episode of Mad Men. <laughs> it's also weird to me too, because pot makes me puke. I don't know why. Like I'm not a pot person, but I, I noticed that marijuana cigarette girl. <laughs> Just keep calling it that, Dad. <laughs> Are you smoking the grass in there? My mother calls it grass and marijuana cigarettes. I'd rather grass than, call it whatever, like who cares? But grass to me seems like you're a little bit more in the know than like marijuana cigarette. You might as well call it like one of those funny cigarettes. Totally, oh, you have a funny totally, cigarette? Totally. No dad, God. I feel like 
am a little out of my depth here, girl. I don't know anything about what the fuck they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, because I'm like, okay, I'm trying so, I have like thousands of pages of notes for this. I'm really trying to follow it. And I'm like, Same. I was like, this is with Patty Hearst, right? Like, this is the, am I watching the right thing? I know, I know. And every time they refer to like Cuba and Che Guevara, I'm like, I only know who Che Guevara is from the musical Evita and from like the posters the hot guys used to like have on their walls. <laughs> 